0: Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar.
1: Hello, it's Peter Oborn from Wiltshire. It's a sublime morning. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, shadows on the grass. It's beautiful. Hello
2: from Richard Heller in South East London... Everything he said,
1: <laughs> and perfect morning, of course, for playing cricket, and we have got the most distinguished guest. Richard, perhaps you should introduce Andy Nash. Explain who he is and why he matters.
2: Well, Andy, we're delighted to welcome you. And he was um, long-serving chairman of Somerset County Cricket Club in ten very successful years for Somerset. Before that, he had a very distinguished business career particularly in the drinks industry and in healthcare, Uh, and it led him to write a standard textbook on management buyouts. It um, also, um, more importantly, I think, from our point of view, he wrote a very good book on a year in the life of Somerset County Cricket Club with a foreword by our previous guest, Geoffrey Archer. Andy, before we go further, can I just ask, are you still involved in um, Somerset's affairs after your great success with them?
0: I'm involved emotionally, (laughs) but uh, physically no. I retired in 2018, and uh, then took a deliberate decision to to ensure I stayed back and allowed the new incoming chair to uh, to get on with it. And uh, they've continued to. you know, they've made a really good fist of it in in recent years, despite the uh, challenges posed by, uh, by COVID. So these days I'm an honorary life member, which is a lovely position to be in. And, um, yeah, I enjoy, mostly enjoy following them, although I've had better days than the first day of the championship season, when uh, we were skittled out by tea yet again.
2: And Andy, you're still involved in teaching and mentoring at Somerset. And I think recently you had a very... Um... Sounds like a wonderful meeting with all the age groups involved in Somerset cricket from seven upwards. Uh, Tell us about that first.
0: Yeah, the players pathway, as it's known, we put a lot of effort into that at Somerset. And of course, it's been rewarded by a fantastic sort of uh, production line of uh, young batters and bowlers coming through. But um, as chairman, I was invited to address the, uh, the boys age groups. And uh, I think it's a fantastic story to tell because it goes right to the very essence of what county cricket is really all about. And I know that later in this podcast, we'll be talking about the threats and challenges to the county championship, some of which are coming from the, the national governing body itself. And I think this puts into context. So let me tell you the anecdote. So, you've got a room full of several hundred people. It's the players and their parents, their guardians, their, their brothers, their sisters. And they age from uh, seven up to all the way up to the first team squad. They're all kitted out in the same kit deliberately. They all have their photographs taken in the same team formation outside the main pavilion in age group sequence and uh, in thinking about what can I say to these people that will really mean something and hopefully will resonate with the uh, the boys and the young men who were there, all striving to ultimately play cricket for their beloved county. So the story I tell them is that of um, of uh, Harold Gimlet, and I'm gonna relate it now because this goes, as I say, right to the heart of what it means to be involved in, in county cricket, whether you're a player, Um, an administrator as I was, uh, was a fan. So so Gimlet had a two-week trial with Somerset um, uh, but he was told before that two weeks was over he had no future as a first-class cricketer. Now accounts vary as to how that decision was reached. Gimlet himself quoted in David Foote's magnificent biography on him which relies heavily on material taped by Gimlet in the years immediately before his death. Said he was told by the county secretary and former captain, John Daniel, and I quote, "'You may as well finish this week, uh, Gimlet. "'We'll pay you 35 shillings and your bus fare. "'I'm afraid you're just not good enough.'" Now Daniel's son, who's quoted in the same book, said that the Somerset professional players themselves had advised against taking Gimlet onto the county staff and they used to tell his father uh, that they thought Harold was far too impulsive. But a further factor we know had been the almost permanent financial crisis that surrounded Somerset in those days, and almost certainly they were not really in a position to afford another professional player. This is where it gets really interesting. On the final Friday of Ginbert's trial, Somerset found themselves a player short for the match that started the following day against Essex at Froome when the amateur Laurie Hawkins reported in sick. Well Gimlet was told to get himself to Froome and Gimlet of course was a watch lad so living you know, way up in the north of the county so John Daniel arranged for the wicket keeper Wally Lux who had a car um, to pick him up from Bridgewater but Gimlet missed the bus from Thornton um, but he hitched a lift in the lorry. I just about got here in time to get, get the lift. Anyway, Somerset won the toss, chose to bat. Three batsmen were out by the time they got to 35. And at lunch, the score was quite normal for Somerset, 105 for five. And soon after lunch, Dickie Burrows was out. Gimlet came to the wicket with Somerset six down for 107.
1: By the way, I think I'm right in saying that they were playing Yorkshire, weren't they? Which was the best team in the the country at the time. Essex. Essex. yeah.
0: So he comes to the wicket joining Arthur Wellard, the glorious Arthur Wellard. Well, Gimlet's first run came off his third ball and shortly afterwards, he was hitting the leg break googly bowler, Peter Smith, for 15 in an over. He raced to his 50 in just 28 minutes of 33 bulls, reaching it with a six. Wellard, unusually for him, because he was a brute of a batter, was outpaced and was out shortly, followed swiftly by Lux. But Gimlet was then joined by the famous Bill Andrews. Bill Andrews, you may remember, was famous for many things, one of which was bowling out Bradman. But unfortunately, by then, Bradman had 202. But he was another powerful hitter. Well, Gimlet got his century in just 63 minutes. It was the fastest century of that season in the county championship and it was made out of 130 runs added while he was at the wicket. He finished with 123 out of 175 in 80 minutes with three sixes and 17 fours. Somerset won the match with an innings to spare. Mm. Gimlet went on. play 368 first-class matches over 19 seasons for Somerset and three tests of course for England. In the days of uncovered wickets he averaged just over 36 and remains to this day Somerset's highest run scorer with 23,007 runs. So the point there it says a lot about county cricket doesn't it and for the boys the lesson to them was Never, never let anyone tell you you're a failure because, you know, Gimlet was told that and look what happened to him. So you have to have self-belief in this game. And if you have the self-belief, you, you, there's nothing to hold you back. So that's the anecdote. And I love it, uh, and I, as many cricket fans do.
1: No, I must say, if anybody who hasn't read David Foote's biography of Harold Gimlet, they must do. And he tells it beautifully, doesn't he, in his, his book.
2: Wonderful story. That was um, That was in 1935, I think. He played his yes. test cricket a year, just a year later, didn't he? England against India. And um, question arises from that: Is Somerset still finding Harold Gimlet's so, Are players coming through onto the virtually from nowhere in the same sort of way?
0: Yes, they are. And I think you know the Somerset's record because of the effort that is put in by the uh, the coaches, the coaching network, the clubs, the amateur clubs, the parents is immense and of course Somerset go hunting all over the southwest and we are the southwest's cricket club and some great examples lewis goldsworthy who came through to notoriety during the course of last season state school lad from camborne camborne one of the most economically deprived areas in europe picked up by the scouts went to sixth form college at millfield to round off his cricketing education and, of course, he's now a regular member of the Somerset First team. Joss Butler,
1: State oh. School, and Wedmore, went, went towards the north of the county near Cheddar. Again. And he hits, He doesn't half hit the ball. The other person, of course, who reminds you of Gimlet so much is the great Marcus Truscothic, who was yeah. completely sweet, generous, completely out of Somerset. And uh, he, he was really in that tradition, too, wasn't he?
0: Yes, an an extraordinary talent. Uh, Never moves his feet, of course, doesn't need to. (laughs) He's good enough. (laughs) His die-hand ball coordination is legendary. Um, uh, Yeah, he came from Canesham, again, from very modest beginnings. And uh, so, yeah, the club is still unearthing these extraordinary talents. Uh, Tom Banton, of course, now springs to mind who uh, played such a pivotal role in Somerset, won the Royal London One Day Cup a couple of years ago. Um, and, of course, the bowlers are coming through as well, um, and a whole host of wicket keepers. We had um, two players in the uh, Under-19 World Cup final a couple of months ago, uh, again, both on the, the coming up through the Somerset pathway. So, yeah, it's prodigiously... Uh, it's a bit like the old um, factory for fly halves that they used to have in Wales, in Southwest Wales. <laughs> um, they keep coming through, but again, I guess the important point there is that you know this is why the 18 counties are so important because you know without them you're not going to unearth this talent. And Somerset doesn't just look after Somerset; we we go into de- deep into Devon, we go right down to the. Uh, The southwest tip of Cornwall. We we share Dorset with Hampshire. Uh, We share Bristol with uh, with Gloucester, Um, and we share part of Wiltshire too uh, with Gloucester. So we are recruiting uh, and looking for and developing talent, boys and girls now, of course, the right way through the southwest peninsula. So when you do hear stories of various people or authorities beginning to think about reducing the number of counties. Given what I've said in the last ten minutes or so, you can see why I uh, resign from that most strongly. Because uh, if you cut the counties, you know, you're you're going to reduce the game.
1: Andy, can I stop you though, Richard? You're a master analyst, and uh, give us a, this passionate uh, explanation of what the English Cricket Board is currently doing. And of course, it is important to know that Andy, you were you resigned from the English Cricket Board with four years ago now. Warning about major governance issues before this ever emerged as a, as a, the ECB's plan to um, not just to decimate, but to uh, sort of curtail many of the counties. Richard, explain though what the situation is, because we're now going to go on and discuss that.
2: It's not absolutely certain, but the ECB's agenda appears to be culling the first class um, counties in such a way that the... The first-class cricket will be centred on the eight centres that play test-match cricket, which are basically in cities. Um, that's obviously a real threat to, well, not just to Somerset, but to, to rural counties and to, um, well, all the counties that don't have a test-match arena. And many people think that's sort of foreshadowed by the 100. The 100 is a basically a city-based competition. The 100, of course, destroys county identities. It's sort of folded up. We'll talk about this later. It's folded up Somerset into Welsh Fire. Somerset isn't Welsh, nor is Gloucestershire, which is another part of it. And indeed, nor is Welsh Fire, because they don't have a Welsh player in them. But um, the Hundred foreshadows the destruction of current identities. um, And um, as far as I'm aware, uh, Welsh Fire and all the other Hundred uh, entities aren't searching for players in the same way, and they're not discovering new Harold Gimlets, are they?
0: No, they're not. And I mean, you put it very eloquently, Richard, and very, very accurately. Uh, the plain fact is franchises don't develop talent. They just rent it. Mm. And when they're finished with it, they just spit it out again. Um, they don't develop grounds. They, they rent the playing surfaces as well. And, you know, it is when you look at the efforts I described in, in some detail what happens in a county like Somerset to develop boys and girls, to go on to play the game professionally. I mean, that's been replicated the whole way through the other 17 first-class counties. You know, it's an immense effort. And franchises, they're there to make money for their owners. They don't develop talent. They just exploit it. And you have to say, too, where is the evidence in English sport that the fans who've been following these counties since the 19th century you know, through many generations, where is the evidence that they follow franchises in mainstream British sport? There isn't any. The Welsh franchises are in trouble on rugby, as we know. And, uh, you know, whether you go into soccer, rugby, many of these clubs were formed in the 1850s, 60s, 1870s. You know, there's a reason why people follow, you know, Bury Football Club or, or follow Leicestershire Cricket Club, even when they're going through very lean spells. It's in their bone marrow, they grew up with it, you know people drink their local beer, their local cider yeah. in England and uh, they follow their local teams through thick and thin yeah so what you,
1: you what you were describing Andy with Somerset now you have something which is absolutely a manifestation of somerset as a as a currency as a place as a, as a tradition going back not just centuries, but millennia, actually. Or something, And you can say the same about so many other parts of you know this wonderful country we're lucky enough to be part of, and through regional identities. Uh, under the ECB long-term plan, what happens to Somerset? We don't know.
0: I mean, clearly, there's no smoke without fire, and we know that certain people have been advocating a reduction in the number of first-class counties for a while. I think in a... Uh, in a belief that this will somehow focus quality in, in, across a, a small number of elite clubs. Um, it was one of the reasons I resigned from the ECB board in 2018. I didn't agree with the direction of travel. And as I said, it is, the evidence simply isn't there to support the fact that this is going to work. People look sideways at Australia, but it's a completely different setup in Australia. 75% of their population live in just six conurbations, six cities. In England, the six biggest urban areas here account for 25% of the population. So they're completely different.
1: Uh, aren't they looking at, I think what they're doing is, uh, my impression is they're actually looking at the, uh, in India, aren't they? the IPL and its huge success. And the analysis that, and uh, Richard and I, when we were researching um, our history of, pakistan cricket we we got the sense of that that we talked to the money bags in the game in in india in the middle east it's basically it's centered in urban They 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 have created through the ipl urban metropolitan identities and that has 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 become the model there. It's been huge made huge amounts of money. It's been driven by massive media interests and political interests. And that has become the dominant financial model, but also for attracting new spectators into the game. And that's presumably what the Absolutely what the ECB be wants, fun. isn't it? Is is saying what we want to get young families involved in cricket which have turned away from it in the way that they you know not just these old funny duddies like they might say you or me
0: well look, briefly on the IPL uh nothing can be compared to the IPL it combines two religions in India it combines cricket with Bollywood it's an un- it's an unrivaled combination but Latest information since they've expanded the team with uh, the tournament of two more teams is the TV ratings are going down. There are now real concerns that they may have over the pudding, as the Australians did, of course, in 2018. Uh, and we've seen the big bash begin to shrink. But look, we have here in the UK a ready-made replacement in T20. We invented T20 back in 2003 for the professional game. T20 has grown every year it's been played. It had over a million people attend uh, live games in 2018, um, 2019, before COVID, has continued to grow. And the case uh, uh, was made uh, back in 2016 that we should have divisionalized T20. Therefore, the, the, uh, uh, the first nine, eight or nine sides would have been in the, uh, the English Premier League. And that was a property that we felt had enormous traction and appeal um, and could have really taken the T20 tournament in England onto the truly onto the global stage. And, of course, you've seen the world's best players turn up for T20
2: time and time again. And crucially, T20 was still a county-based system. The Vitality Blast was still played by the counties and generated revenue and um, support for counties, didn't it? It didn't create these completely fictitious new identities which, haven't, um, which have no um, historic resonance and no historic support.
0: T20 has been a superb recruit, recruiting sergeant for the, for the game of cricket, and it's, um, you know, we can demonstrate time and time again how new fans have been attracted to it. Surrey have got some compelling analysis on this because they've got a state-of-the-art ticketing system um, attracting all of the new uh, new fans that the game could could wish for. And they migrate, of course, from there into the 50-over game, and then some of them onto, you know, the ultimate long form of first-class cricket. But the, you know, the other uh, problem that we have with the 100 and, and the fake or the synthetic brands that are being set, set up to run it, is uh, it's a wrecking ball for the rest of the game. Now, I said this back in 2018, I was vociferous then, I still am, but I think the, the signs are now there and people that frankly know a lot more about cricket than I do are now saying the signs are there. We've seen that the, the T20 blast is being slowly strangled. We've seen the effect of, uh, of the county championship being moved into the, uh, the bookends of the season uh, early April uh, and late into uh, September when you know the English climate just doesn't. It doesn't support the playing of cricket to a high enough standard as as, you know, as we can see frequently. So, and now too, with one test, one out of the last 17, we've lost the last four test series, uh, consecutive, uh, never happened before. People can see the damage that's being wrought on the test game. And, the, and test cricket is still, by a mile, the biggest contributor and financial uh, pillar holding
1: up the English game. That has to be protected. And the hundred is undermining it. There's no doubt about it. So what, is, what we're talking about is, is we we'll frame this in a sort of um, massive way, a big way. The, the governing body of cricket in England and Wales is on a mission, according to you, and, and it's interesting how few media voices are saying this, and I want to come on to this, why that should be so, because there's a sinister reason in my view for it, is actively... Planning and arranging to destroy the game of cricket as it is known uh, and has been known in, in England and in Britain for well over a hundred years. That's true, isn't it? That's a fair comment.
0: Well, I don't think the ECB board are consciously setting out to destroy the game of cricket, I wouldn't go that far. One, I, I think said the game as it's been
1: known, as it's been known for a 100 more years. Yes, years.
0: That, 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 that can be asserted for sure. Um, I think what they are doing is they, they want to move the control of the game uh, into the centre. And one of the things that stops them doing that is the power of the 18 first-class counties. So if they can concentrate that power into eight franchises... You can imagine how they have—they suddenly control the game far more strongly and effectively than they, they do at the moment. But my argument is, and it's interesting now is that to see Bumble come out, he was a, a passionate uh, supporter of 100 while he was at Sky, uh, and probably had no choice uh, in, in believing that. Now he's uh, independent. He's come out strongly against it. Says it's recognized. This takes
1: us this takes us directly to the media point I wanted to make. So I've been shocked beyond measure that Jonathan Agnew, the cricket correspondent of the BBC, has been advocating the hundred, and of course the BBC is part of this, uh, uh, you know, financially financial movement towards the hundred, as is Sky. So the the leading commentators on the game, have got a financial interest in saying it's a good idea, and so Agnew has 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 repeatedly now supported the hundred, and he's become an advocate. He ought to be as cricket correspondent of the BBC, an impartial arbiter and commentator. And he says he puts the puts the cons and the anti's. He's become a campaigner for this. And it's only when somebody like Lloyd leaves the uh, financial media structures and becomes independent that he can tell where well, he can put a fair point of view.
0: Yes, I think that's that's right, Peter. And uh, in, in not alone, we've seen um, this week. I think we've had uh, Mark Butcher has come out very strongly critical of uh, plans to reduce uh, or deracinate uh, county cricket yeah. as, as as we know it. And two, I heard I was listened to Paul Farbrace and Peter Moores talking on the TMS podcast. And they were passionately supporting county cricket and uh, passionately supporting the sustenance of 18 first-class counties. So I think the worm is turning here because there's very, very little evidence that the hundred has been a success. There is, uh, but the empirical evidence is clearly building, but it is is undermining the other free competitions and test cricket and no national governing body who ultimately should be measured by. I mean, they are custodians of the game. They're not there to manage it. They're not there to milk it. They're not there to monetize it. They're the custodians and it's a privilege to be in that position. Their job is to pass the game on in better condition than it was when they when they started. And at the moment, are they really going to be able to do that if you took an audit today of what's happened in the last four or five years? I don't think so.
2: Well, that takes us on, Andy, to something I've never really quite followed and quite understood. What is the actual structure of the ECB? What is it? Is it a... Uh, what is it legally? Is it a... Pri- what are its legal responsibilities and accountabilities? Is it... You were a non-executive director um, for, I think it was five years. Yeah. What is the UCB? Is it a private company? Who appoints the directors? Who are the shareholders? Whom does it report to? What is it charged with doing? well it,
0: it does have a unlike the uk it does have a written constitution uh, that's available on the, on on the website it is a you know a, a, a properly constituted uh, uh, organization company it's member it is owned by its members its members are the all of the counties not just the 18 first class counties mm-hmm. but the what are now known as the national counties previously the minor counties as well there are 39 in uh, counties in total and there is a very well-prescribed you know, constitution, and of course it was the counties, uh, this is my understanding, who led to the overthrow of V.M. Um, uh, Watmore, who mm. was the, uh, the previous ECB chairman, who uh, uh, succeeded Colin Graves. And uh, you know, that the counties do wield real influence if they decide to do so, but um, they're a very mixed garden. Uh, And of course, something else that is now colouring what is going on uh, has been the damage to the balance sheets across the game caused by COVID. And one of the reasons, of course, uh, that people will argue now for a reduction in the number of counties is uh, it gives you a a smaller number through which to divide the media value pot up on an annual basis. Oh, yeah. And you know perversely, some of the largest counties, the test match counties, are those carrying the most debt, and you know they will not have had a good crisis um, financially, uh, far from it. many sporting clubs have struggled. So that's another debate that's raging within the game, and I just mentioned it, because uh, if why aren't the eighteen counties acting as one? Well, because some of them probably do have a different agenda now and may well be supporters. Of uh, a reduction in the number of first-class counties because they would be directly, direct financial beneficiaries. were that to happen,
2: right now going back, Andy, you said that ECB has got a constitution. Can I, as a cricket fan, a cricket supporter, can I do anything to make the ECB obey its constitution and carry out its functions if I don't think it's doing it properly? I might say in Pakistan. Found, Peter and I found we were researching Pakistan cricket Pakistan about ten years ago um lots of fans started suing the um, the Pakistan cricket board in uh, take it to court um and the as a result the leadership about ten years ago the leadership of the p c b changed hands three times as a result of the fans legal action i mean what what handle have I got as a cricket fan over the e c b
0: well I mean- Fascinating area. Um, I wouldn't rule out there being litigation or legal challenges uh, or hearings in another place if if serious moves are made to reduce the number of first-class counties. Um, uh, that's so. I mean that that remains an option, of course. Um, for most people, practically, if you look at what's happening at Lancashire, uh, Lancashire have got a very active fan space and. Uh, They've got some very, very able people who are part of that. And they have succeeded in getting uh, questions now asked at the AGM and I think are attempting to move motions at the AGM that will require their chairman and therefore the board to uh, act in a certain way that they would argue would be more beneficial to Lancashire County Cricket Club. Now, I think that move is likely to be replicated across other counties, uh, the Cricket Supporters Association has become much more vocal. County Cricket Magazine has now got an increasing band of followers too. And there are some very bright, able and articulate people within that. And I think you will see, uh, to answer your question directly, Richard, if fans focus on their county chairman or county chair, they can put pressure on that chair to represent their objectives with ECB. And if a number of chairmen were to do that simultaneously, ECB would not be in a position to ignore that. And arguably, that's what happens uh, in Ian Watmore's case, uh, when the counties finally decided enough was enough and they wanted change. So a bit convoluted perhaps, but I mean, there are are means of uh, trying to get uh, change uh, within the English game.
2: You recently gave evidence, very pungent evidence, to the House Commons Select Committee on um, Culture, Media and Sport. Do you think the committee took in what you were saying? And do you think Parliament and politicians should get more involved in the governance of English cricket or take more interest in it?
0: Great, great, great question, Richard. I mean, there are several questions within it, of course. Um, I, I, I think I hope we put our best foot forward on the day. Unfortunately, we were rapidly followed by a general election, which meant that all of the select committees fell away. um, And uh, as the committee has been reformed, of course, it hasn't focused on that particular topic, which was about securing the legacy of English cricket following the World Cup victory. Um, It's moved on to areas of, of diversity and inclusion, and quite rightly so.
1: Um, Another area where the ECB has arguably not distinguished itself.
0: Uh, well, absolutely, uh, and you know it remains the mystery why on earth they allowed Yorkshire to investigate themselves, uh, with all that subsequently that came out, is uh, is a you know a very powerful question, and uh, we're still waiting. I think the game is still awaiting answers to that, of course. Um, but to Richard, to, to, the, to the kernel really of your question, ECB showed itself to be sort of um, spatchcocked uh, on the, the, the issue that Peter's just raised, because here it was on the one hand trying to regulate what was going on in the area of EDI, uh, as it should do, as the game's national governing body, but at the same time it was trying to promote the game. And I think what came out of the uh, recent select committee hearings was that the NGB was left trying to face in two directions at once. And so it may well be that the decision is taken ultimately to have an independent regulator brought into cricket. And I think that might be an interesting thing. And it, possibly it may be a force for good, especially if it enabled us to kill off any ambition of reducing the number of counties in a a mistaken belief that that might expand the game. Why don't we aim for 24 counties instead of 18 and look at three divisions of eight? What's wrong with that as an ambition?
1: Mm. Hmm? You also have, according to your analysis, actually to get rid of 100, because it's destroying the organic life of the game itself, isn't it? So you can't keep the 100 and keep the counties, really, from what you're saying.
0: They're mutually exclusive.
1: Right. Yep, It's as simple as that. And it's squatting on the, the most important
0: month of the season in August. So for over two thirds of the time that the school children are on holiday, the only curriculum offer is going to affect is going to be the 100 the uh, that has any profile.
2: Right. Which isn't coming to Taunton. So that. School children but, in Taunton aren't going to see any any they're not they have got to travel to go and see the hundred and they're going to see I think in August the only thing on offer to them is four Royal London fifty over matches minus Somerset's best players
0: minus so, nine of Somersets minus nine, best nine of
2: them yeah mm. but I mean, yeah. let's just talk about the fans
0: for one minute because it's not just about Taunton, we're talking about the whole Southwest Peninsula. You can drive half an hour west of Taunton to meet the, the Devon border, you are still nearer Marble Arch than you are Penzance. Mm. The southwest is a very large tract of land, as Peter knows, uh, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: uh, uh, as Bridget's probably about
1: to find out. Um, we should explain here that, our, that well, you, you've just introduced Bridget Osborne, our brilliant third umpire. She's a, our producer. She's on her way to, to, to Devon later today and they, she's previously never been mentioned on air but i want to say what a great job she does we are the reason why this podcast is i think outstandingly good is because we have two professionals running it one is bridget who was uh she produced hard talk which you know as we all know interviews many of the most distinguished people in the whole globe for many years she really keeps us in order she's a professional broadcaster of of many years in the bbc and james who comes from devon he's our technician he's a farmer's lad from devon he's very much similar background to to harold gimlet actually and we often have talked with james and he's just come back from milking the cows or doing the lambing (laughs) carry on fantastic
0: (laughs) let me just say this on fans we all know that we the very pejorative photograph of one man and a dog watching county cricket. We have to kill that myth. Let me tell you what the numbers are in terms of following. This is just for Somerset, okay, just for one of the 18 first-class counties. When we started out back in 2014 to build a social media presence, Somerset had at that time respectable, we had about uh, 18,000 followers on Facebook. Shall I tell you how many we've got today? Please do. 573,309. And it has grown every month since 2014. Somerset has 154,676 followers on Twitter. Another 121,000 on Instagram. 153,000 on YouTube. I mean, when people tell us, county cricket, no one's following county cricket. It's just counterfactual. The facts show us that county cricket is alive and well, and if only the national governing body would get behind it with some proper marketing, some proper support. I mean, we only saw... uh, Mike Selby, I think, made the point this week. Of the 29, and Stephen Brinkley too, the 29 press releases he'd received Mm. from the ECB in the last fortnight, one
1: was about the county championship. Let me just read out this tweet from Stephen Brankley, who's a cricket journalist, is he not? In the last 15 days, I have received 24 emails from ECB about various matters, mostly the 100. Not a squeak about the championship. He says actually not one. What is going on here? This is... Actually, it makes me want to weep
2: Jack Russell's mate Jack Russell made a very similar point and a very similar tweet, just just um uh, the same much at much the same time. Just to put it into context for perhaps for overseas listeners, may not have quite realized this. It's we're now speaking on the 9th of April, and the English County Championship has been in progress for two full days in April. Somerset have had a, a, a tough start to their county championship program. And they're likely, perhaps, we hope they'll, they'll recover from it, but it's quite likely they'll get one point from their opening championship fixture, which will be over on the, what, the 11th of, of April. And it's, I hope it won't happen, Andy, but in it's quite possible, isn't it, that Somerset's hopes of the county championship might be over before May, isn't it?
0: Well, um, we, we do have a, uh, yeah, there are three rounds, are there not, in April? And it was one of the Middlesex players. I think it was was it Gareth Berg who said yesterday. I caught it on the on BBC Radio Five. The worst worst weather he'd ever played cricket in, Hmm. ever. And um, you can see it by the fielders, you know, with all their hands in their pockets, and you can't blame them. Hmm. Um, I mean, the the cricket ball stings at the best of times, but when your fingers are like. Fingers are like ice, it really hurts. Hmm. Um, and we're going to see a lot of injuries. You see Chris Broad's comments recently saying that, no, he won't be playing for knots in, in, in April because he's trying to get back in the England side. Hmm. Stuart Broad. If he comes to these temperatures, he's going to injure himself. Hmm. So this is a direct consequence, a direct consequence of the championship being moved to the bookends of the season. You know, It, it has to return uh, to the mainstream summer. And one of the ways they can do that perhaps is to alternate, the, uh, alternate with, with T20. Mm. Play, um, play T20 on a Friday night, start the championship on a Saturday, play it for four days. I mean, how about that? Fans could actually get there. Different audiences perhaps. But this isn't rocket science. You could then play the whole way through the, the, the mainstream season and just play the 50 in a uh, uh, do like we used to have in the CNG, uh, and play it as a knockout competition perhaps. That's something that could be earlier in the season.
2: Another historic context, there are 14. The county championship this year is 14 matches. As you say, spread out at the bookends of the season, and in, they're not being continuous. They're in, I think, five separate installments. I look back to a historic season for Somerset, 1961. That was the season that Bill Alley, aged 46, scored 3,000 runs. Somerset played 32 county championship matches um uh, programmed more than twice as uh as F.A.'s, um present one and they but they started at the beginning of may yeah of course three-day
0: games uh three day game, that's true yes that's another component. Uh, which did make a difference but course, uh, yeah. and now i know you don't like referring to the uh the list day game the, the limited overs game as, as the white ball game but i mean those uh T20, I think, now has to be accommodated. But mm. look, there is—it doesn't necessarily have to be played as a as a block. There is a way of intermingling it with the uh, with the championship and uh, actually getting a discernible drumbeat or rhythm to the season. Mm. At the moment, most fans do not know the, you know, pardon my French—they're asked from their elbow in terms mm. of what's going on because it's all stop-start.
1: Yep. Yeah it's very baffling as a cricket lover to know what on earth is happening actually in the game uh, at the moment and it's it is very odd this we know we none of us really asked for the ecb they've turned up they have shown themselves to be incompetent on so many different levels you resigned from it in principle 4 years ago um by the way people listening to this may not know but I, uh, um andy nash sent us his cv before this uh program he's there's virtually no um i looked at it it's stunning i mean it's virtually no company hasn't sort of turned around and saved from impending oblivion there's very few finance directors i'd have thought he hasn't sacked at one time or another <laughs> in britain um and he's got a, a glittering record he's not some sort of old idiot from you know well somebody like me who's a sort of has an affectionate reverence for for, uh, for the games it used to be because i'm a traditionalist and a conservative with a small c he's somebody's a top flight businessman with a keen eye killer eye one might say for finances of the game and he is saying that these new plans are nonsense i am and i'm not the only
0: i'm not the only one i mean the fact is that it, it, it's it's not rocket science in, in running cricket it's a there's a wheel of fortune effectively it, it, wherever you start you start by playing the best cricket you can that brings in more fans more fans bring in more revenue the more revenue you reinvest to improve facilities and in turn bring in better players and that was the wheel that we were on at Somerset where we had as as, as we once referred to it the development of Somerset starting with with Giles Clark back in 2002 I mean, we had a sort of uh, an 18-year overnight success. (laughs) I mean, it was a huge amount of work. But, you know, we got Somerset is now the longest serving club in the county championship first division. It hasn't been in the uh, second division since 2007. (laughs) Uh, No one else has got a record to match that. We're pilot-turning out England players, both for the men and women's sides. And the ground has been transformed. And was transformed without loading the club up with debt and it was transformed from something that was pretty dilapidated before Giles started 2002 to hosting its first international cricket match which was an IT20 England-South Africa in 2016 mm. by which time we've got capacity up to 12 and a half so it can be done and other counties are doing equally impressive things but I just wish national governing body ECB instead of trying to centralise would would become an enabler. Stand back, let these people get on with it. They know what they're doing, um, and the game can thrive. So you know, I
1: can't resist. It's I'm a political by day. My day job for, for many years has been a political journalist. And have you studied the trajectory of british politics it's strangely similar that you get they made these big political parties the conservatives in particular labor as well they were uh, kind of sprawling you know lots of local associations huge memberships and what has happened over the last 20 years is tony blair started it cameron developed it but johnson sort of formalized it as is that they, they they spared of their members so basically they got rid rid of them They brought in instead super rich donors. I mean, these, many of them offshore, many of quite a lot of them Russian, as it happens, oligarchs started to finance them. They drove out the membership. The parties ceased to be run for the benefit of the public good. Instead, they are now run for the benefit of a small number of people who effectively have bought British politics. It's absolutely fascinating. You can argue that the current problems facing Rishi Sunak are an incredible manifestation of the financialization of British politics. Uh, but really, it's when you look at the party finances, and then you see the links to donate to, between donations and, and getting into the House of Lords or getting juicy government contracts, you can see what's happened. British politics has been bought. And you look at the parallels of the ECB, and the, and the other point here is the big media organisations are part of the capture of politics. These are owned by billionaires who don't pay onshore tax. Their interests, they're telling readers weird things. They won't cover, broadly speaking, what's happening in British politics because they like it. They like this corrupt setup and so it's a very and I'm watching the comparison with english cricket and comparisons between english cricket and the english cons- the british conservative party and they are, they stare you in the face yes it's fascinating isn't it and uh you know there's there's no doubt
0: i mean the uh money making has become uh, much more central to the uh, ecb's mandate now um, I know it has been exacerbated, as we touched on earlier, through uh, through COVID. But, you know, the game is that sport is not about, per se, money-making. Yeah. I mean, we used to say at Somerset that, you know, we, we don't play cricket here at Somerset to make money. But equally, don't try and play cricket these days without any money. You know, you have to be properly financed. You have to offer people safe stadia. You need to offer them the social media uh, support, which is... You know, building such enormous traction around the country and and further beyond. But uh, you know, sport is about a lot more than that, isn't it? It's about values, and it's a you know, it's a, it's a it's a parable for life too, in many ways. Cricket, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's about fair play, it's about doing the right thing. And look, I'm ultimately I'm confident that the uh, the good will prevail in cricket. I think it's uh, I sincerely hope we don't see a ten-year media deal done because. Um, that will be done uh, certainly uh, in
1: in the face of what the fans are clearly after. Well, that's going to happen, though, because one of the fascinating things is that, that basically the board of the ECB, I, sh- I think it's fair to say, has been discredited and they have been shown to have mismanaged English cricket in so many different ways. But yet they, they, it's this board which is, going to neg- is negotiating a media deal, which is going, I read in the papers, to be struck in the next few months or if not, is, is imminent.
0: Yes, and I think but if that has the 100 as at the heart of it, then perhaps that will be the trigger for an almighty explosion in English cricket, because uh, we know the evidence available shows that 90% plus of uh, existing cricket fans don't support the 100.
2: I could see that as a trigger for an application for judicial review. (laughs) Yes,
0: me, me too. And uh, because let's let's face it. it, it doesn't matter what. There's nothing wrong with the hundred as a cricketing spectacle. It's a game of it's a game of cricket that purists wouldn't like, but it's a game of cricket. The problem with it is what it's doing to the other three forms and test cricket. And it, you you need to be a moron in a hurry not to now see the damage that it's doing. In, in what is effectively its third third
1: season. Hang on, but supposing the ECB goes ahead and signs the deal with the big media groups, it's a done deal by then, isn't it? Nothing can reverse it. They've got the legal mandate to do it, and, that, and then the, it, it's happened. It, it doesn't matter what, what sort of outright cry happens then, does it, Andy?
0: Well, I think the uh, deals can be renegotiated, uh, yes, and... Uh, I think that if, if they were to sign a 10-year deal with 100 at the heart of it, I think that would unleash all sorts of um, unpredictable events. And uh, that could well lead to a, a, a seismic change in the structure of, of, of English cricket. Who knows what might happen? You know, there are some immensely capable people in the game, like Richard Thompson, mm. the chairman at Surrey, who is steeped in, in media background. He would be more than capable if adequately supported, of renegotiating those those deals are after Tom Harrison had moved on. So, you know, I remain optimistic. I mean, cricket's a magnificent game. Uh, I think, you know, it will sort itself out and uh, I'm sure, uh, and I really hope that it will continue. This I mean, start. I
1: don't think I feel you're, um, from listening to you and from studying the matter, I don't feel at all confident it's going to, have to sort itself out. They clearly have a vision of metropolitan uh, centralized cricket, which is completely which shows no interest in the local game the history of the game and indeed the structures which break gave us as we talked at the beginning the these great players like joss butler Trudinic, they come up they're nurtured by organically by local by at the local level and they want to basically get rid of that and i don't see how you're going to stop them at the moment, I can't see the mechanisms, they're going to sign this broadcasting deal which will bring in the 100 then they'll move on to uh, uh, eliminate most of the, the counties and the whole thing is going to change in, uh, and, and it's going to be completely different to what we've known and much and basically hostile to the tradition, to the long forms of the game, first class cricket, basically hostile to first class cricket, yeah. Where, and the, 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 Joss but- Butler will go and play football Andy, why do you feel hopeful? Because nothing you've said makes me feel at all hope- hopeful.
0: I'm, uh, look, I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful, but I'm not complacent. I agree with you at the moment. There are some uh, clearly forces that would wish to restructure the game in a way that would be unacceptable to the vast majority of current cricket fans. Um, but I, ultimately, I believe in the, the goodwill out. Um, there may be a hell of a lot more crockery to be smashed before the game actually does find uh, peace with itself, but ultimately, I think it will because you know cricket's been around since you know, for a very, very long time, and I think there are some extremely capable people who are involved with the game, either as as fans, as commentators,
1: players, etc. Ultimately, I think they you know, they will do the right thing for the game. Tell and one one final question lots of people listening to this are going to be horrified because they wouldn't really have realised how serious this situation is or how imminent the demise of the county game clearly is what can get tell the people listening now what could we do to stop the ecb wrecking english wrecking english and wales cricket
0: two things you can do one is getting get in touch with write, go and visit phone contact through social media the chair of your county club, mm-hmm. because that has, he ha, he or she has direct access through the ECB. The second thing, right to the uh, right to your MP and through them, right to the uh, the appropriate minister for sport. And because uh, all national governing bodies have to do listen, and we know that DCMS are very engaged on cricket at the moment. So there are two practical things that you can do. One third thing join the Cricket Supporters Association and support County Cricket Matters because they are becoming an increasingly effective and highly eloquent source of uh, of support and change agents within the game. So don't just sit back and do nothing. Do Andrew, can,
2: I, can I suggest one thing you might have missed unconsciously? Join your county cricket club. Become a mm. member. Yeah. To...
0: Uh, yeah. Quite, quite right, too. I should never have forgotten that. I was getting too carried away on other areas.
2: <laughs> mm. uh, John, I'm going to ask a trick question now. Um, who's the Minister of Sport? Who's the present Minister of Sport?
0: Well, Nadine Doris is the, uh, is she not, is the Secretary yes. of Culture, uh, Media and Sport. I want
2: to press, who's the Minister of Sport? No, you've got me there. I, I, it's a regular one that stumps a lot of people. Um, And it shows you, you know, how much power he or she has. It's actually uh, Nigel Huddleston MP. So um, listeners, very welcome to write, should indeed write to him and to him via the local MP. But um, he is still the minister responsible for the state of English cricket. And um, we should all let him know what we think of it. Um, Andy, it's been a real pleasure talking to you um, and to get such a, tremendously informed perspective on the state of uh, English cricket. We hope um, um, you're st- still going to stay involved in the game. We hope we're still going to campaign for the best of the game, as you've um, done already in your career. Perhaps you'll have me back for a second innings, as we have with other guests, to um, and hopefully tell us some progress uh, in saving the game we love. But for now, it has to be goodbye from me, Richard Heller, on a still sunny southeast London.
1: And it's still beautiful here in Wiltshire, although my heart sinks at what the ECB is doing to the game. It's goodbye from me, Peter Roborn in Wiltshire.
0: It's been my pleasure to meet you all. And uh, thank you, Bridget. Thank you, James, for your support. I've re- really enjoyed our discussion. And uh, keep up the good fight. <laughs>